Welcome to Drone Business Talk, the show where we discuss the business of unmanned aviation. Find out about the latest drone applications and trends as we talk to drone company CEOs, business owners, pilots, and thought leaders to reveal the status of the drone industry. Here is your host, Tom Verbruggen. Hello, everyone, and we're back with another great episode on Drone Business Talk. Today, I am talking to Mark Beltran. He is the operations manager for the Barcelona Drone Center. The Barcelona Drone Center is a UAV test site and training school, but also has a dedicated uh, renting service. I'm talking to Mark about the story behind the the Barcelona Drone Center, and we'll take a deep dive into the challenges the drone industry is facing. Hey, Mark, it's very excited to have you on Drone Business Talk. Uh, How's life? Good morning, Tom. Pretty good. Well, here with COVID, nothing, not much to celebrate, but we're we're good and healthy. Okay, you're you you join us. You join us from Barcelona. Uh, we, right. We've got we've got people uh, from all over the world uh, that join us, but Barcelona is of course a very nice city to to join us from. Uh, very excited to have you here. Likewise, Tom. Thank you. Okay, uh, Mark, uh, for our listeners and our viewers uh, of the Drone Business Talk, um, can you tell us a bit more? about the Barcelona Drone Center. What, what, what do you guys exactly do? Yes, we are one of the very few drone centers in the world. Um, it is a really unique place because uh, one of the main assets is an asset that you cannot see, which is a segregated airspace above us of 25 square kilometers, in which, to say it fast, uh, regulation does not apply as strictly as in other places. So there we could, we could fly um, drones that are not certified, uh, people can come and do research, uh, do testing, do training. So it's a good test bed for 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 pushing uh, um, testing programs and trainings, whatever. Yeah. So, and uh, in my introduction, I, I said that you are not only a test center; you you also provide training and you also provide uh, renting services. Um, maybe maybe first before we get more deeper into that. Uh, Mark, in, in the previous chat we had, um, you told me that you are an aeronautical engineer. Um, how did you end up into the drone uh, business, into the drone industry? Yes, that's that's a good question. I remember when I was studying, there were actually only like three fields in which my colleagues and, and I could go. One was the space industry. The other one was the aircraft design. And the other one probably would be the airports design. So these were like the, the three predefined routes at which aerospace aeronautical students would go to. But I remember somebody was talking about UAVs, UAS, and then I was really interested in, in, in I'm, I'm personally interested in, in global things, not in just a piece of a big thing. So drones seem to be a good, a good, a really promising technology and a good way to see everything as a whole. So, uh, I finished my degree. I, I moved to Germany. I worked there. Later, I moved to, to Portugal. I moved to Vancouver, Canada. And then in, in Vancouver, I started um, with, a, with a Center for Aerospace Research, designing and working with drones. But then one day, uh, somebody that was here in Barcelona that I met years ago, Jordi Santacana, which is actually the founder, told me, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to create a drone center here in Barcelona. Would you like to join? So I happily accepted the request and I came here to Barcelona. Yeah. And we, we have a pretty long story. Jordi, as I was saying, started a drone company uh, before year 2000. It was the first 
European civilian drone company ever established. And uh, right now we have 25, 21 years of experience. But uh, about 10 years ago, we thought, what are universities going to do when they need to do testing or research with a certain drone? What's going to happen with the police officers, with the firefighters, with the rangers when they need to get trained and apply this drone technology in, this, in their day-to-day -day services? What's going to happen to a drone company that want to sell expensive uh, drones to somebody, but people want to see it before they try it in the middle of a big city like Paris, like London, like uh, New York? So they will need a place, a dedicated place for trying this technology, right? So we, we all agree on that. And we decided to uh, start a personal drone center. The first question that came to our mind was, where are we going to place this center? So we, we actually took a map and we did the opposite uh, way. Instead of saying where we're going to put it, we said where we are not going to put it. So we started discarding the areas that were not suitable for flying, like all the mountain regions, all the, um, the, the big cities and the, the airports, areas of influences, uh, nuclear power plants, we had to be away from them, the windy areas, the foggy areas. So we found a small region close to Barcelona, which is very remote because there's a really low um, population density. But at the same time, it's well connected to Barcelona. It's just one hour away from the city center, one hour away from the international airport. And we took the car and started checking field by field, which was the best one to um, establish this Barcelona Drone Center. Until we found a field that was very flat. It was in this remote area. It was pretty high, which means we, we never had fog. We had communications all over the whole uh, Catalonia. So we, we purchased this terrain. Then the second step is we have to create this airspace so that we don't affect to regular um, commercial aviation or, or other drones even. So we went to Madrid to talk with the defense, and the defense ministry to talk, to try to convince them about the necessity of having a segregated airspace for uh, giving answers to all these uh, demands of society. So after two years of negotiations, we actually had this uh, airspace segregated. So at that point, we had the terrains we had the airspace, so the only thing pending was uh, a building. So we decided to build a bioclimatic building that is completely autonomous from the grid. We are disconnected from the electric grid. We are disconnected from the water grid. So we generate everything ourselves. That's awesome. So with these three things, we, we, we decided that everything was ready. So we opened the personal drone center. We opened the barrier. And from that moment on, I'm going to tell you later on what we did, but we had people from 93 nationalities that took a plane and came to Barcelona, drove a car, and came to the Barcelona Drone Center. 93 nationalities. And when 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 did you then open the barrier? When did you start mm -hmm. uh, the, the... Because you told me that in 2000 already, uh, the founder was already uh, testing out some 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 UAVs, if I'm not mistaken, uh, right. the ground control station and first FPV uh, FPV drones. That was That was all back in 2000. When did you open Barcelona Drone Center in the new location you just described? Around 10 years ago, I think 2011, something like this. Okay, okay, so 10 years. Yeah, so you have a lot of experience. And one thing that is, that is really um, something that is beneficial, of course, if you fly in Barcelona, is the weather, right? You, you always, or not always, but you have a good chance of, of having good weather. Um, so that's that's probably one of the advantages that you have 
uh, in your in your location. Right. Um, yes, uh, we we have more than three hundred um, flyable days a year, like visual and sight conditions. So that's that's not thanks to us, obviously. But it's really, really important to set a drone center in a place with good meteor conditions. Yeah, and so what kind of what kind of drone tests can can happen? You told you told that it's twenty five square kilometers the the, the airspace. Um, that means that you can do uh, visual line of sight, beyond visual line of sight, or right. autonomous uh, operations, and so on. Can you tell a bit more about that? Yes, by the way, yeah, some short news. We're going to double the surface next month. It's already accepted by the um, defense ministry. So we're going to have 50 square kilometers. Everything we can do here is all type of tests, like, for example, um, maximum takeoff weight um, tests, range tests, autonomy, uh, flying uh, with uh, experimental wings, experimental landing gears, um, communications, you can sensors, you can test everything you need. And we are we don't have only a runway, but we have what we call a, an outdoor lab, which means that we have installed in our property plenty of things for doing remote sensing tests. Like for example, we've got fifty geodetic markers at which, if you fly above it, you could recognize it from from your sensor, and you're able to um, georeference every pixel of your image. Right. We've got effective resolution panels, for example, as well, because uh, if you buy a camera, you read the specs of the camera. And this camera can say, I can read five centimeters pixel at one at 100 meters. So these people can actually come to our center, take the camera, put it in a drone, go to 100 meters, take the picture into this um, effective resolution panel, check the tables and see if it's the effective resolution is, is far from the uh, theoretical one or not. Oh, yeah. Okay. But calib- calibration targets for the cameras, for thermal cameras, for visible cameras. It's it's we call it an outdoor lab for drone technology. Everything that involves drones, communication sensors, yeah. platforms, everything. Yeah, that that brings me to my to my next point. I, I already said it in the introduction. Uh, you do you do testing, you do training, which we'll talk about a bit later. But you also rent out the the platforms, right? The the drones on on which those sensors and applications can be can be attached. How how popular is that in your? I mean. In the scope of your your drone center, how much is that being used? Pretty much, because we have different typologies of clients. We don't only have drone operators or drone manufacturers, but sometimes we could have sensor manufacturers, sensor operators, or communication link manufacturers. So in these second and third cases that I just said, um, these people don't have to have drones or they don't have to have the the expertise. So sometimes they can rent out this expertise and uh, products. Imagine a drone camera manufacturer that want to test if their camera is good enough at 200 meters altitude, for example, or 100, 100 meters altitude. They don't have these drones, so they come here, they rent our drones, they rent, they hire our pilots, and they put their camera to the place they want. And they, 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 they take their pictures, they do their tests, but basically they don't have to have a drone pilot license and buy a drone because we do all this work. Yeah, you provide you provide the pilot, you provide the operator. They just can take care of the technology that they want to test. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's that's great. That's great. And and what about uh, training? You you have a very good location. Uh, you're offering all sorts of trainings. What what kind of what kind of trainings are you offering? We started. I remember the first training we we did at the very beginning when we had still the building under construction. 
people from all over the world already came. <laughs> we were like, we just opened the barrier. We announced something in a website that it's a new website. It's, no, it's not well positioned in Google, nothing like that. And people from more than 15 nationalities showed up, and nationalists far away from, from Barcelona showed up in a course about uh, remote sensing applications. So basically, since we had been uh, on that time 10 years already working with different many different applications, and the vast majority of population started their company when regulations were very strict, they could not fly in many applications. Yeah. But since we started way before the regulation entered into force, at that time there was no regulation. So we could work in so many different applications. We acquired this, this expertise and we got to meet the key people in each of the disciplines. So for example, for uh, agriculture, we knew the best doctor in remote sensing and precision agriculture. With inspection, we knew the right person. With a coastal applications, the right person. So what we did in this first training of remote sensing applications was inviting all these people that we work with during these last 10 years. We invited them here in Barcelona. They came from all over the world. We took the best uh, camera manufacturers, uh, the best uh, platform designers, everything. We, we, we took them here in Barcelona and we explained our participants uh, application by application how to use them, which is the usual pipeline, which is the workflow that you, you can use, uh, like our, our mistakes that we committed in the, in, the, in the past, all this. Yeah. So that's one of the trainings. Yeah, sorry. That's one of the trainings. We do obviously the drone pilot application, the drone pilot training with official certificate. We do precision agriculture training as well and other on-demand trainings. Uh, sometimes there's a company from a specific country that says, hey, we would like to get trained in this specific thing. So we, we since we, as I was saying, we got to know all this um, spectrum of people that was in different applications. We invite this person. We give our experience as well. And we, we can move as well. People usually come here because um, the, the facilities. But sometimes we moved. We, we've been in Dubai many times, training people in Dubai. We've been in, um, in Namibia, training pilots in Havana, in, in the U.S., in many different places. So you have your you really have a very strong network of uh, not only specialists but also your your operators all are all over the world. You already spoke about 93, 93 countries. How long did it take before you were really internationally known uh, to 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 those to that international public? I think it was surprisingly fast because, as I was saying, we we had the building almost finished. We opened the barrier. We we created a website. And on the first edition, we were not expecting that amount of people from all over the world. Yeah. And I remember they were really good um, at their, I mean, they're really, um, I don't know how to say it, but really experts in their fields. Yeah. And uh, so it became really international because after launching the website, and maybe it was like a couple of three months later, people from all over the world were, were coming already. Yeah. So I think we've been really international from the very beginning. We actually had the website only in English for many years. Even though we're based here in Barcelona, we speak Spanish, we speak Catalan, but everything was in English from the very beginning because of uh, everybody was from different parts of the world. Yeah, but you, when you start in 2010, 2011, uh, we see the big boom of drone applications coming in uh, 2014, 15, 16, something like that. In those first years, did you have difficulty in, in spreading the message because drones were then really innovative, right? They were... The, for the early, the very, very early adopters. 
how did you how did you manage to attract that public? Was it worth the mouth? Did you have to do a lot of marketing on that? Uh, how, how did it go? Yeah, the beginning, I remember it was really tiring to explain uh, the benefits of drones because it was something really new for everybody. So we had to, to explain over and over again. Yeah, because with a drone, you're going to spend less money because it's much cheaper. It consumes much less. So it was pretty, pretty difficult. Later on, I remember that the boom came and drones were in the mouth of everybody. They were in all newspapers, in all radios. Everybody was talking about drones. It was just the opposite. So people were calling us every day. The phone was going crazy every day, telling us and proposing us like crazy projects that didn't have any sense at all. But people were just excited about that. They wanted to, to incorporate it in their jobs somehow, and sometimes it didn't match. So it went from the, the technology trigger in which you had to explain everything over and over to the hype, right, in which people are super excited about that. Then the, the depression, the valley, because people were doing business plans according to this hype, and then yeah. they, they saw that they were not matching anything they were planned before. So that was a time we saw big uh, companies like GoPro, like the 3D Robotics, like Parrot, firing a big portion of their staff because of this business plan was not, was not meeting. I mean, the results were not meeting the business plan. That was a delusion. And right now we think we are in the productivity phase. And it's like a plateau yeah. at which we think society is ready. Society has understood what a drone is and society has understood for which application drones are useful and for which ones are not. So yeah. we are really happy to be feet on the ground. We're very happy as well to have this new European drone regulation that's sorting out a bit the whole ecosystem and that we think we, we have promising years ahead. Yeah, that's very interesting what you just described. You you described what they what they call the hype cycle, right? The, 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 the thing where uh, everybody is enthusiastic about the hype and then there is a, uh, the, the, the trough or the valley of disillusion. And then afterwards, you, you come to the, the plateau, as you say. And and you think we are already at that plateau, or we are still a little bit we're still a bit early on that. I think I have the feeling we are at the plateau with this regulation into force already, and society has understood um, the technology. I have the feeling that's only just my opinion, but I have the feeling we're at this plateau. We're ready to yeah make things well here. And what do you think? Because I, I see I see a lot when we when we are. Uh, distributing our software um, in the beginning, we also we also were soaring on that hype uh, in the beginning, and then you see people or operators uh, joining that that think that drones are going to be the next the next thing uh, the next biggest thing since sliced bread, but then uh, they figure out it's not so easy because regulation is difficult or technology costs a lot of money and you always need to be ahead of that curve. How do you think that when we are now at that plateau, how do you think the market will shape? Um, because what we are seeing is that the smaller operators or the individual pilots, they group together. They, they go now to consolidation and, and make like a uh, one front or one big company. How, how do you see that evolving? I think um, what we have been seeing is that what, what really works is um, special, specialization. Because back in the days, we saw many people in the market and the website saying that they do everything. A small team of two or three people saying that they could be doing everything. So that was bad for the sector because, um, you know, when uh, when you tend to see that the whole sector 
is uh, telling you lies, kind of. This is, is bad for the whole sector. But I've seen that uh, people understood that and they are specializing in, in, in this. I mean, there are companies specialized only in, in media, for example. Companies yeah. specialized only in power lines or gas pipes inspections. Yeah. And I think it's, this is key to uh, have more a more mature market and a more reputable sector. Yeah, because the market is big enough, so there is there is a portion for everyone who who wants to invest in technology and into expertise into one uh, niche, uh, if you if you say, um, yeah, that's that's I, I agree with that. I I think that uh, specialization is is the way forward at this at this point um, in time. And uh, how do you feel that? Now, with you, you already mentioned it briefly. The new regulation, the new uh, EASA regulation in Europe, uh, will sort out a lot. You said, um, how do you feel that will affect the training market? Because three, four years ago, we had drone schools that were offering pilot licenses. Now, with the the new open and the specific uh, categories, there's a lot less training needed. How do you see that evolving? I think this is positive because there were many training schools um, in the market that they gave away certificates only through a couple online classes and one hour of actual training. So there were many people with certificates that didn't have enough knowledge, in my opinion. So uh, first of all, EAS, I think, is filtering now training schools and is filtering as well the, uh, the, the, um, let's say, the complexity of having uh, a specific um, drone certificate. It's good that they divided this into three categories because open obviously doesn't require that extensive training, but it's good as well to filter who is teaching in specific and and certified that is not published yet, by the way, and and which are the requirements for getting this uh, specific certificate. Yeah. Any thoughts? Any thoughts on on the fact that the, the regulation might be a little bit too liberal, uh, like like the open in the open category, you do, you can really do a lot that was not allowed before in certain countries. You see a potential danger there, and how to cope with that? Yeah, that that's a really difficult question. Yeah, now you can do many more things that you could not do before, but at the same time, you could not be obliging a person that with a really tiny drone that you want to fly here in the park for fun, to have like a whole drone pilot certificate, having an uh, insurance, having so many different things, open yourself as an operator. Now you, now you still have to do that, but maybe it was a little bit too much for uh, recreational activities yeah. back in the days. Uh, I'm not an expert in this field. I mean, um, I'm sure people that designed this regulation thought about this. And let's hope that nothing happens, uh, I mean, with with the open category. Well, uh, in my previous, in in the previous episodes of the Drone Business Talk, uh, we asked, we asked each time uh, people, what do you think is the biggest challenge uh, going forward for the drone industry? And sometimes it came about uh, that they said, yeah, regulations is, is, is a big uh, a big factor. What would you say is the biggest challenge or challenges that the drone industry is facing? Yeah, um, I agree. I have always said that regulation is the biggest challenge because it's a way to um, sort out a bit all the obli- 
everything that's going on with the drone sector, because back in the days it was, at the beginning it was chaotic, later on it was everything was prohibited. And right now, I mean, we've got the good channels, so everyone has to follow a channel. <clears throat> Some things are still to be published, like certified category, there's not much published uh, concerning trainings, concerning certifications. Uh, this is still ongoing, I think, so th this is one of the challenges. Another challenge, I think, also for the automotive industry are batteries, I think. If you want to do longer drone shows, they want to do longer trajectory drone delivery or drone taxis, we will need uh, better batteries, which means that we will, we will have to have more power density. And this is continuously evolving because, uh, as I said, for the automotive industry. Another thing is going to be communication. So let's see if there's 5G, it's rapidly deployed. Let's see what happens with the Starlink from Elon Musk. Um, what else? What else? Basically, this regulation that the UTM, the U-Space, how we uh, fly together in this mixed space. If a drone wants to fly higher, how it's going to connect with other civil aviation, with, um, with commercial aircrafts. So when, I think... When when do you see that happening? When when do you think that the, the the adoption will be that there will be an integration? Uh, I think that it's going to happen. Are, we are very much we are very much uh, like fortune tellers, right? We are, we have to see visionary into the future because nobody really has the answer. But I like the ask the question to see, yeah, to get the input from a lot of people. So that's why I'm. Yes, asking. I, I don't have the crystal ball, obviously, but I have the feeling that this is going to happen soon, pretty soon. We're going to see flying drones flying in high altitude, and uh, because regulation has 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 gone pretty fast. Yeah, so I have yeah, the feeling. I have true. the feeling we're going to see maybe twenty twenty three drone taxis in our cities or drone delivery in in, in a couple of years. Just that's my feeling. Yeah, that that was my next question. In fact, when will you see? I I think that. The future is clear that it will be going more and more into autonomous drones or drones that are be pre-programmed to delivery or even um, transport people. Uh, when when do you see when do you see at your test center? Are there being any tests being done into that field already? We have some clients doing drone drone shows, and uh, it's completely spectacular. You can see it online, you can see it in your laptop. But yeah. when you see it live, you, you realize how spectacular this is. Is and is this a step forward compared to the fire, uh, conventional fireworks? Yeah, you mean the light shows, right? The, the, the light, light shows, shows yeah, the, correct. Yes, yes. Yeah, um, they don't pollute, they don't make any noise. Um, it's way more spectacular. The possibilities are endless. It is much more um, cheap than uh, conventional firework. So we have some clients doing this. We've got clients as well with a uh, drone delivery. Um, it's something working in, in many countries for humanitarian projects as well, for delivering vaccines, blood, painkillers, so many different things. And we are in touch with uh, three or four um, drone taxi companies that are planning to do to, to conduct their whole um, testing program here at the Barcelona Drone Center. Okay, all right. Yeah, I always wonder, uh, these, these light shows, uh, I can't help, uh, but I, then I think how many drones you need to really have a, a, a decent uh, density image and how many then drones fall out of the sky like uh, yeah, yeah, how, yeah. How, do, how many do you lose do you, do you have an idea on that we, we've seen i mean i will not say the company but obviously we've seen people testing and, and losing many drones 
yeah, yeah, of course. And but but that's the good thing about the drone center, right? That you don't have you you get you you check that everything works correctly before going to a city and doing this in front of thousands of people, right? Yeah, yeah. You course. don't want to have any drone falling down in, in front of thousands of people. No, no, that's clear. That's clear. Hey, uh, Mark, you already said that uh, one of the things coming up in next month is the doubling of the size of the drone center from 25 to 50 square uh, kilometers. Is there anything else that you that you're planning in the next months or year? Concerning the facilities, you mean? Concerning the Barcelona Drone Center, maybe new trainings, maybe new new services that you're going to provide. Yes, due to COVID nineteen, we've been postponing many trainings. We've been converting to online some of them, but some of the people say, "Hey, I don't want to do it online, so let's keep me keep me the seat for when everything is over." So we plan trainings for May and June. We hope everything is going to be much better than than now. People can travel. People can can sit in a room. We obviously come. We comply with all the measures. We open the, the door always. There's uh, currents. Uh, everybody washes this their hands. We check temperature, uh, typical things. Uh, so we, we are planning these uh, spring, summer trainings again. We've got interesting things and in discussion. Uh, what else? Concerning facilities, we're thinking about um, doing new hangars for, for bigger drones because... Um, <clears throat> Uh, sector is bringing you, is pushing you to have bigger and bigger drones, for for example, for delivery, for um, drone taxi as well. So we're going to have bigger, probably bigger hangars, bigger workshops, bigger offices, because at the beginning, the teams that came were like one, two people teams. Yeah. Uh, later, maybe five, six people. Now people come in, in, from 25 on 25. We've got yeah. bigger teams all the time. So we're we're continuously evolving and enhancing our our facilities. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Well, um, I think that's that's it for this session. Uh, I, I learned a lot about Barcelona Drone Center. Uh, thank you for that, Mark. No, thanks um, for having me, Tom. Yeah, so that that's it for another episode. I, I really want to thank you, Mark, for from Barcelona Drone Center. I hope it's been valuable uh, to you listening or watching. Uh, if you want more information on the Barcelona Drone Center, you will find the link uh, to the website uh, be below this uh, episode. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast or to our, on our YouTube channel. And we'll be back for another session soon. So again, thanks, Mark. And thanks a lot, Tom. See you soon. See you soon. Drone Business Talk is brought to you by iDroneact, the drone management platform iDroneact makes it easy to fly professional drones in safe, legal, and profitable way. iDroneact clears the air so you can focus on your mission and fly more.